0: Hello, everybody. Jace here. Quick message before we get to the main episode. Uh, You know, I try not to get too political on the show. Maybe if that's something that really interests the guests, we might get into a little bit of politics. But mostly we're here to just celebrate comics. But uh, I can't ignore what's going on in the world, specifically the Russian invasion of the Ukraine. So uh, on our Twitter pinned as the tweet is linked to UNICEF. Which is an organization that focuses on uh, areas of the world where there is a lot of strife, war going on. Specifically, they try to provide clean water, medical care, and other uh, essential needs specifically for children and families. So regardless of which side of the fence you're on, whether or not you believe that one side or the other is right or wrong, uh, we can all agree that children and their families shouldn't be suffering for the choices that their leaders are making. So please, if you have a few dollars, uh, every little bit helps. You can go to unicef.org, that's U-N-I-C-E-F dot and just look for the Ukraine appeal. Click there, or you can go to the Comic Source Twitter account, and the link is there for you to donate. So uh, again, appreciate the support, everybody, and uh, hope you're all being safe out there. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Comic Source. Have a real treat for you today. Somebody who uh, I'm a big fan of, best writer for 2020, my pick. Uh, so if you've listened to the podcast since that long, you'll know who's here. It's Eisner award-winning writer, Kelly Thompson. Kelly, welcome to the show.
1: Hi, thanks for having me. And and thanks for uh, picking me. I like it.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, you you have have blown me away with, the, with your career, with the trajectory you've taken. And uh, we're going to a lot of projects going on. I know you're super busy, so we're going to sort of kind of touch on it all. Um, let's start with, with your beginnings. Uh, I know you've told the story before. For those not aware, Kelly went to the Savannah College of Art and Design and actually got a degree in sequential art, uh, but then moved to the writing side of things. So I'm, I'm curious about that, that decision to go like that direction rather than concentrate on visuals.
1: Sure. Well, I don't know how it is today, so I can't speak for sure about how the curriculum is at at SCAD now, although my professor, Mark Neese, my writing professor, is still there, so my suspicion is it hasn't really changed that much, is that when you go, you're going for both, Mm -hmm. you know, you might, you're going to learn how to make comics, like, you know, nobody's suggesting if you prefer writing you shouldn't draw or that if you you know like so I knew I was stronger as a writer than an artist but I was always interested in both I think even back then it's funny because when I look at it back then, I think I was delusional enough to think I might draw comics someday, <laughs> but I was never delusional enough that I thought I'd be drawing like big two books, like superhero books. Um, I said this to someone the other day. I think, you know, when I was at SCAD, uh, a favorite creator of mine, um, and he still is, he's incredible, was Terry Moore. Mm. Um, and not that that. Uh, skill level isn't equal to any big two book but you know it's more likely you're gonna see women and men having conversations in rooms and not like giant mecca spiders trying to take over the empire state building you know what i mean like oh yeah it's just like a different kind of thing so like while I could see myself doing more independent or indie comics and drawing them back then as a kid, I never thought, Oh, Marvel's going to hire me to draw a Spider-Man, you know, like I never sort of thought that, but I was always more into the writing. I was always better at the writing. I could always envision that better. And I think more importantly, um, you know, I think, I think there's absolutely talent involved in these things. I never like to dismiss talent, but hard work is what it's all about. And the plain fact of the matter is I looked at what I thought I had inside me and what I thought it would take to do some of these things. And writing seemed like a thing that I could work really hard at and maybe get really good at. And art seemed like a big question mark. Like, I was going to have to really love it over everything else in order to take the small amount of talent I had and turn it into a real impressive career. And I think I was just very practical about that. I knew that I wasn't going to want to do that to the exclusion of everything else. And I already had something I loved so much that I loved more than drawing, which was writing. And, um, I don't think it's because I necessarily enjoyed it more. I think, I don't know, working with so many talented artists that I've had the chance to work with. You know, first of all, it's like Christmas when you get (laughs) this stuff from them. And there's something so beautiful, more than any other uh, medium, I think, uh, certainly anything I've been exposed to. There's something so incredible in comics about imagining something, dreaming it up out of nothing, and then having your partner in crime send it back to you. And they've done also what you've done. They've brought themselves into it as well. And, you know, especially in my case with my limited talent and drive as an artist, I mean, my work is so much better for working with people like Meredith McLaren and Mattia Julius. Like, you know, I respect the hell out of Uh, you know, the Kate Beaton's out there and the Jeffrey Brown's and like these people who have managed to find this incredible voice and this link between their voice and their art. I'm incredibly jealous of it. Like I wish that was me, but for the path I'm on, why would I want my crappy drawings (laughs) for my (laughs) stuff when I can, I have, you know, these insanely talented collaborators who not only can do a thing better than I uh, could probably ever do it for myself, certainly in the venues we're in or in this type of books we're doing. But I also, you know, I've written novels. And that's such a solitary experience. And I, there's something really enjoyable about that, too. But there's something honestly addicting to doing your best being afraid about it, but putting it out into the world to your collaborator, them taking it in, absorbing it, liking it, that alone is like a thing where you're like, holy crap, this person that I revere thinks this thing I made is great. And now they're going to put themselves into it. And it'll be better than it ever was, because it will be both of us. You know, I think there's something really beautiful in that collaboration. And it makes comics to me, sort of unique. Um, you know, certainly you get collaboration in film and television and and music to a different... I mean, like, those things all have that, but it's a little different, I think. It's a little more you do your job and then you hand it off to someone whereas comics it's more i hand it to you and then you hand it back to me and then we hand it to someone else and we're like all trying to bring it together into a final form you know uh which i I don't mean to be dismissive of other medias it's more just me trying to say i think comics is pretty special in that regard
0: no i I agree and i was going to make the same point actually um anybody who's not a a subscriber to uh, Kelly Substack, I, I very much encourage you to to do that. She puts out a lot of content, both for the paid tiers and uh, and the free tiers. And talking a lot recently, when you first launched it, about um, this idea of how you come up with character designs. And you know, mm-hmm. talking about inspiration, there, there was a great one that you had with Lee Garbett, talking about coming up with the uh, the Captain uh, the Marvel costume when she went kind of evil and, and whatnot. And that was so fascinating to me because it's exactly what you're saying. You have this idea for a story, Lee has the bones of what it's gonna be, but then he comes up with you know, the look of her costume and then he's passing it back. And that's inspiring you to, to maybe organically change the story or see the yes. way the beats are gonna go. And totally. that's only in comics.
1: Totally, totally. And it's also another thing and again, I know you have very huge variation of levels in like film, for example, but comics is also a medium where you can do it on a really huge level where everyone's making a lot of money and it's really big and it's a huge audience. And it can also do it on like the smallest, you know, dollar budget, you know, style thing. And I don't know, I love that variation within it, you know? Um, but you're totally right um, that Lee uh, Captain Marvel example is a great one and even better one uh, that I haven't posted about on the substack yet, but probably will eventually if I can convince Marco to, to, <laughs> to come over and talk to me for a minute is, um, you know, when he designed that Captain Marvel, I mean, it gets called. Sorceress Supreme or, you know, right. Right. I don't remember what were people calling it. It was better than that. But anyway, it's like her magic look, right? Mm -hmm. The reason that came about was because we were actually just going for like an update on her costume. We were like, we don't want to completely overhaul it. It's a great costume, but you know, we, it feels like it could use like a little polish after, you know, this long run we've been doing. And he's an incredible designer and an incredible artist. And we knew we had him for the covers and stuff so we thought this is great we'll get him to do this design but it was like it was just a really hard ask I think because we wanted to keep most of it and Mm -hmm. that's really unrewarding for the most part you know like it's it was a very specific ask and he sent back these designs and none of them were right for what we were trying to do but they were all really interesting Mm -hmm. and among them was this cloaked sort of thing and we had been talking about doing this magic thing and I had already been planning to to bring that in because we had this Doctor Strange fling that was leading to this and you know it was all sort of building up and I was like I know we've done a lot of alternate Carol costumes in our run so it makes me a little nervous to do another one but I think we're idiots if we don't see this great design and see what it's inspired and you know take let's let's use it and so it you know it turned out great and people love that costume it was really fun it was a fun little arc and and it was a lot more fun than just doing a slightly polished update of her costume you know yeah and you I got think, to yeah you got
0: to bring in chaterson which that interaction was so much fun
1: yeah we got to do a lot of stuff that that the costume really helped inspire us to do and um i think there's a there's a thing on twitter i said Otto Schmidt had done a drawing of Tigra and it was, it was just so good. It made me want to write like 50 stories about (laughs) this drawing. And I was like, it really just takes a great artist doing a take on something to inspire, you know? And so we're so lucky to have them. They're so talented, you know, it's it's just so inspiring.
0: Yeah. Again, only, you know, it only happens in comics. Uh, but I want, I want to go back to something else that, that you said, um, in terms of knowing that, you know, the writing was where your strong suit was. And so you wanted to, to focus on that. And also kind of bringing in what you uh, said about, you can go big budget, you know, where it's big too, and it's, you know, big money and, and big audience, but you can go smaller and go, you know, create your own self-publish, that kind of thing. To go back to your breaking in and knowing that you had to put in the hard work. Uh, I, 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 I talked to a lot of people. I have a lot of people that reach out to me less than you probably. obviously because i'm not a creator but you know people are always asking me well who should i talk to how do i break in what what do i do to become a comic creator like there's there's no barrier to entry it's never been easier you can just if you want to write comics then just write if you want to be a writer you have to write and you know what your choice to, to do that you know you didn't you know get your degree and then show up on marvel's doorstep like you wrote you know you went the journalist route you wrote for cbr um, and you, you you put in the time and made the connections and, you know, eventually, you know, built yourself up. Um, so I don't know. It, I, 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 and maybe it doesn't happen. Maybe you don't hear from those kind of people, but I, I hear from people so many times. It's like they think they're just going to if I could just talk to that one editor at Marvel and tell them my idea that they're just going to hand me Spider-Man or something like that. It just it just yeah. doesn't work that way.
1: No, it doesn't. And this is a question I get. And I think probably every creative gets more than any other one. And I think there's a, I think there's two reasons for it. One, we're always looking for the quicker path, right? Of course, Mm -hmm. me too. We all want it. We all want there to be an easy answer. And two, creative fields are not structured typically. They're not, they're just not structured the way other fields are. And so kids go to college or, you know, whatever they, so they're like, oh, I'm supposed to do this. And then I do an internship and then I get that job and then I get the next job. And then, and that's how it goes. And it's a ladder and it's steps and it's easily understood. And that's just not how most creative fields work. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, you could be in all the right places and not ascend anyway, because, you know, maybe you're not that talented or maybe you're just out of sync with what a publisher or the world is doing right then. And it's just not your time yet. And there is a lot of time. One of the things I like to think about a lot for me personally, and I think that it's very, it's a very relatable feeling for a creative, which is if you've ever watched, um, if if, uh, if you've ever watched Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Uh, which I was a huge fan of in a million years ago. You know, Sarah Michelle Geller was a huge star. She was a huge cult star when that when that really took off. Mm-hmm. So Amy Adams is in an episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer as a guest character and a horrible one. She's like a sister or a cousin of uh, the Tara character, right? And she's a great actress, so she does a great job with the with the character. And I always think how strange it must have been for Amy Adams, this insanely talented, struggling actress, who's doing one episode of a throwaway character of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and she's looking probably, and I'm assuming a lot about Amy Adams at this point. I apologize, Amy Adams. I think you're insanely talented, and it helps me feel better about myself to think that you were probably looking around going, why am I not famous like these other women around me? Like, Sarah Michelle Gellar is a star and I think I'm as good as she is and I can't get it. Well, look, look at now. And I, and I don't mean that as a criticism of Sarah Michelle Gellar or Amy Adams. I mean it as things have a time, you know, getting Mm -hmm. one job at one point feels like an absolute crushing blow, but you never know what it's going to open you up to later. And if Amy Adams had been Buffy the vampire slayer, she wouldn't be all the things she is now probably because it would have completely changed the tra- trajectory of her career and so whenever i'm feeling uh i don't know insecure about my career or petty jealousies about things i perceive other people have that i want or that i don't have i just try to keep in mind that this all it all unfolds sort of the way it's supposed to if you're doing your best and you're trying your hardest and, you know, you're not being an asshole, I, I do feel like this stuff works out. It just doesn't always work out exactly the way you think it will. I mean, money always comes in six months after you really, really needed it, you know, it's like, but it all sort of eventually comes together, and, and so I, I, I do think there's part of being successful in creative fields like this, where there are no hard and fast rules, you know, you, you gotta, you gotta do your best work, You got to always try to be available for when the opportunity does hit so that you're ready and you got to try to be a little relaxed about it you got to try to be a little like okay i fought really hard for that and i didn't get it and now i'll get the next one and that's maybe that's going to be for the best um i have had that happen a few times with me i they're not really stories i can tell without going out of pocket but you know there have definitely been times in my career where I devastatingly wanted something and it's good I didn't get it because if I didn't, I wouldn't have been able to do, you know, any number of things that then came along later.
0: Yeah. It's a good, it's a good point. Um, And I, I think there's a, there's a saying that success is, is luck meets um, hard work, you know, so preparedness. So yeah, you do have to be lucky. have to be in the right place at the right time, but when the opportunity comes, you better have put in the work, so that you're ready for it so you can seize that opportunity
1: being ready is honestly the like number one thing um number two is don't Don't be late and make other people wait on you. But I don't know a single writer who, once they get into it, doesn't struggle with that, especially because as freelancers, it's very hard to turn stuff down. Mm -hmm. You know, you work so hard to make people call you, and then they start calling you, and it's really hard to say no to those calls, not just because you want them and because you've been working so hard to get them, but because you don't know how long that feast period will last before Mm -hmm. there's a famine and famine comes for us all I'm sorry to say so it's a it's a tricky balance but I I do you're right though I mean the the problem with how do you break in is there's no one way but that's also the beauty of it because Mm -hmm. you know when I tell my story I often try to tell it to inspire people who are like especially now with COVID and all that stuff but people who are like I you know I live in a small city I can't go to you know, bars to meet editors and I can't go to cons and I can't afford all this stuff. I did it without doing any of that stuff. I didn't meet a single person in comics in the flesh, except for Sophie Campbell, Rebecca Isaacs, maybe there's a couple others in there, but almost nobody before I signed my first Marvel contract and then went to the summit and met a ton of people, you know, and then suddenly, you know, but like until that point, I could have been like, You know, three kids in a trench coat or something. And, and, you know, nobody would have known because I just I wasn't doing that. I wasn't going to lunches and drinks and cons and signings and I wasn't doing all that stuff. It's just sort of not my vibe. It's not my energy. So I went a different way. I wrote two novels and I wrote a bunch of comics in my downtime like trying to hone my craft and get better and i started doing um i don't know if i'd call them journalism that feels like a stretch but i wrote i wrote reviews and i did an op ed Uh, you know all comics related and through a podcast I started interviewing people a lot and I did make a lot of connections that way through doing that podcast and through um, doing interviews for She Has No Head Um, that was very helpful to me as far as like making some connections because you do have to make some connections like Mm -hmm. you know you have to grow your social media like you have a lot of these things you have to do if you're not going to go to cons so there's a trade-off you can't just sit around hoping to be discovered but there are different ways to do it and i i know that that's frustrating to people but i think it should also be empowering because you know that there's not just one way almost everyone you know did it a slightly different way but the thing they share in common is that they all worked really hard and they were ready when the door opened so that they could jam their foot in it you know
0: yeah, 100%. I do find it interesting because I think you have a little bit of a different perspective on, you know, comics press, let's call it, because, yeah, I call it a, journalism is, is a stretch. But being, I'm not
1: saying all is. I'm just saying right, what I was doing was. Right.
0: No, no. <laughs> and, yeah, and I respect that. And, you know, and I do this as a, as a hobby. And, you know, my goal is different. You know, you did it hoping to make the connections and break in. I, I do it because I just want more people to read comics because I think there's a comic book out there for every person on this planet. You just have to match up the right person, the right story. Uh, but I do appreciate that you have that kind of different perspective, having kind of had your toe in that world for uh, well, a little while.
1: Just to be clear, it was part of why I was doing it. I mean, right? A lot of it was. I mean, the the first thing I started doing when Brian Cronin reached out to me at at CBR. Uh, to do the column that became She Has No Head, I had been blogging slightly angrily about comics and I and then i had also been doing some very happy posts like drunk cover solicits where I would get drunk and like write about the cover solicits that came out and they were supposed to be jokey and fun but you know, it ended up being something I had to stop pretty quickly because you don't want to be swinging on people in the industry even if it's in good fun right. like, especially yeah. if they don't know you. It's like if I had was a well-known person within that circle maybe it would have been easier, but most of those people were just people I revered, and so, you know, it was a little tricky, but so when I started doing She Has No Head, I always want to bring people to comics, and I particularly wanted to talk about women in comics on uh, as characters, as creators, etc., and so that was sort of, but, like, when I was doing that, I did the ladies comic project where I sent comics to women who'd never read comics. I also did one where I sent comics to women who do read comics. And then I did one for everyone, for just people who don't read comics because I'm always interested in bringing bringing more people to the medium and, and, and and seeing what uh, we can find there and seeing if there are any um, things that trip them up. And, and in that case, I learned a lot through that about, especially about how early comics reading absolutely changes you so that you understand it as an adult without any assistance. Whereas people who hadn't read comics as kids, I mean, there was just a complete, like they did they didn't even understand it. They didn't know how to do it. They didn't understand why there were ads in the book. Like it was a, it was really crazy to see people who had been exposed versus those who hadn't. It was fascinating. Yeah, a great, it's, it, a great learning experience.
0: Yeah, it's, I mean, early comics reading for me, I mean, I, I feel like, you know, it helped It helped me with vocabulary. It helped me with, you know, a voracious curiosity of knowledge that I have to this day. I constantly, like, I, I love the internet because it, I used to have a lot of sleepless nights when I couldn't, I think of a question, couldn't find the answer. Now I can get up and Google it. I just love that. But yeah, so I, I credit <laughs> it for a lot. Um, and yeah, I'm always pushing people yeah and especially kids to, to to read early um but you did mention and a lot of your books you know do star female protagonists um and i don't necessarily feel like you're pigeonholed it's not like you haven't written male characters um but you do such a great job with the authentic voices for strong female characters do you have a desire to, to write i mean i know you're like doing some work on amazing spider-man right now we'll talk in, detail on that a little bit more later but talk to us a little bit about getting that female voice right and and do you have a desire or are you worried that you won't get the male voice right
1: yeah i mean i think i am pigeonholed a little bit i mean the only title that i've done that's not a female lead is really deadpool i mean for a long run well and Mm -hmm. jeff it's jeff but you know right jeff Jeff is jeff is beyond gender let's be real um he transcends it yeah he does he transcends just about everything my jeff um i i feel really mixed about it like no writer wants to be pigeonholed at the same time when you hand me a list of characters and go do you want to write do you want to write iron man or the iron new iron man book or do you want to launch an elsa bloodstone book i go oh uh, elsa bloodstone please like i you know so i can't you know and is that i don't know i was going to use captain america as the example which is probably a better one um because that you know just feels like such an iconic book Mm -hmm. and the idea that anyone would pick elsa bloodstone over steve seems crazy but I I like those characters that haven't had every story told about them already. I mm-hmm. like those characters that, you know, that people don't always have their eye on. So you can like do a lot more interesting stuff with them. I mean, you know, when I did that A-Force run, it was really hard to do anything of significance with Carol or She-Hulk or um, even Medusa at that time. I think the, the Black Bolt or maybe the Inhumans book was going
0: the tv show
1: i can't remember i think it was it was before the tv show Mm. medusa was a gray area but she hulk i had like a really good plot thing i wanted to do that i thought was going to be so cool and they were like oh you can't do that she's got a solo you can't do a crazy thing and i was like what the hell and so it was with nico and dazzler that i found i had the most room and especially with dazzler you know she was in a really rich place as a character anyway because she'd come out of some trauma stuff and so we were able to do really cool stuff with her and part of that is because nobody was paying attention to her Mm -hmm. and so I do respond to that you know I've like I haven't written any huge big events at Marvel and is that because I'm just not as interested in that stuff or because nobody thinks I can do it I think it's probably a little bit of both right it's a little bit of I haven't shown anyone I can do that because my interests tend to go more to you know it's like someone asks you what's your dream book at Marvel and most people are like Spider-Man or Cap maybe or Wolverine, Thor. And I'm like, can we do the new next wave book? Like, <laughs> you know, like we'll have dozens of people will read it. Like, let's do that. Mm-hmm. So uh, you know, it's a little bit a thing I've painted myself into and a little bit something that's happened. But I also think, you know, I don't know, writers want to be able to write anything. I don't think that's going to change. But there is, I don't know, it's, it's good to, it's good to get female characters right, it's good, I think, for someone like me to come in, and, you know, I don't know, one of the nicest things I used to see when I was writing Rogan Gambit, and also Mr. and Mrs. X, was that a lot of people really liked my take on Gambit, and a lot of people said that, they felt it was similar or it reminded them of Marjorie Lou's take. And then people were sort of putting together like, oh, women don't write Gambit a lot. And like he sort of feels different under a woman's pen. And I think that's true. I didn't think about it when I was doing it, but I do think it 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 resonates a little differently. And um and so sometimes that can be a good thing. I don't know. I don't know. It's a it's a journey, man. I I I think <sighs> All that said, I loved writing Deadpool. It was one of my favorite books, and it felt very natural to me. In fact, I would say Deadpool is definitely more natural to me than than Captain Marvel.
0: Really? Well, I I know you have a quirky sense of humor. Maybe that's how <laughs> that,
1: we're I that's some of it. I mean, I don't think I don't write Carol Danvers with a like super jokey, she's got more like a dad jokes kind of vibe to yeah. me. Um and so that's some of it, but also i I struggle with like the really big power sets. i and I don't mean I struggle and like the stories aren't good. i I try really hard and I think they're good stories. and I think they I work really hard to show off these things, but that doesn't come naturally to me. just like I, the street mm. level stuff makes more sense to me, and I know Deadpool's got insane powers, but they're not swallow a sun powers, you know right. they're so, so yeah, I also. Mm. I mean, if you look at the Deadpool, I mean, like, our whole sort of theme was, you know, what makes a monster? Like, just because you don't look right doesn't make you a monster or whatever. And, you know, those are the kind of themes I'm interested in. So, it's like those kind of things that draw me to a character. And I suppose it happens regardless of their gender um, or orientation or anything. But I do think that there's some of those characters that are women especially feel richer for development just because they haven't gotten that attention you know so yeah even even
0: carol with her own movie i mean you know from from kelly sue to, to margaret stole and now now to you you know it's been kind of the bat- baton has been passed <coughs> excuse me and I've, I've loved what all three of you have done but to me you know and again you built on what they did and i i know you give them a lot of credit because i've seen you in, in interviews give them that credit um, but for me, the, the emotionality and the voice that you give Carol like, she's never been in my mind more relatable or more human. You know, I feel like Kelly Sue really leaning into that military aspect of her, a little more stoic and uh, a little less so in Margaret's one, which felt very transitional to your run. Um, but we also know Carol has a huge following with the Carol Corps. Um, and mm-hmm. I mean, 100,000 copies of the, the first issue, and it's been you know, selling, you know, great since then. And it really seems like that fan base has um, has really embraced what you've done. How, how has that been, the interaction and, and the community uh, be, becoming a part of that?
1: And the fan base around Carol is incredible. Like I honestly, you know, she's got a lot of haters, which is frustrating, but I don't think you could ask for a better fan base. They're so devoted. They're so into it. They're so focused. They're really, you know, they've been, burned before like Mm -hmm. most like most comics people but they've put a lot of trust in me i I think i earned that i think i've given them years of good stories now where they can see that what even though that carol needs to struggle and that even when she struggles we we show her coming out on top so like i feel like they have some faith now but they do sometimes react sort of traumatized (laughs) uh and I I get it, I get it, you know, I'm a fan too, so it's happened to me as well, Um, I think, you know, it's like, we brought this binary character into the new arc, and so, um, at the end of, so Carol's basically missing in that arc, and, you know, you've got the cover up there on your screen, actually. So, this great cover that they did, which is an homage to our first issue, which had Carol at the center and then all these variations of her. And here's Binary, and then she's seeing all these variations of Carol. And so, I mean, that's a very deliberate callback, obviously. It's like there's nothing subtle about it. Um, and so, this is about both where is Carol, what's that mystery, what's happening with her, and also Binary trying to figure out who she is and who she should be in this world I mean she's a new entity she has a lot to figure out and um, I guess I mean maybe Marvel and I are partly to blame of how this story gets picked up that it's like Carol being replaced in her own book like I guess that's a story that people can click on and so people make money off of that or maybe people pick up the issue because they think that's what's happening but anyone who's been reading the book knows that Carol Danvers isn't going anywhere. I mean, Mm -hmm. she's a billion dollar property and that has nothing to do with the little comic book I write, you know? So uh, they're they're not gonna undo that. But at the same time, like how can we tell interesting stories that have real stakes? But instead of just letting those stories do that, we have to get a lot of like frantic clickbaity, you know, Marvel's had it. I mean, I read an article that said, that uh, Marvel or Disney is done with Brie Larson, and that's why she's being replaced in her comic. And, like, I don't know how stupid you have to be to think that me and my little Portland rented house am changing the direction of billion dollar film properties. Right. That is not how it works. And I also, if anyone who's been reading the book would know, I have too much respect for Carol Danvers. I would never be getting rid of her. Instead, we're going to go on a crazy, weird journey for these two characters as they plumb, you know, the depths of who and what they are and what they should be doing with their lives. And I hope it'll be a great story. And, uh, I'm really, I give credit to the Carol core. They don't bite on that stuff. They're really good, especially some of the the key people who are really prevalent and, and sort of lead the movement like Raphael, you know, they're really good at like, not, not getting drawn into the, nonsense of the people that want to dislike carol danvers because i don't know they've got a whole laundry list of things you know of why they'd lay but i would say that that stuff does affect you like you you're saying that she's very relatable in my run and that's not an accident i mean i really felt like um you know kelly sue put her mark so powerfully on the character you know she and david lopez and uh Dexter Soy and Philippe Andrade and uh, and and Jamie McKelvey, of course, with that design, like they mm-hmm. really defined her for a new era, and it was so important. And she she needed to come out super strong, and I think that's a strength of Kelly Sue's. But after everything she's been through with the Civil War stuff and all of that, I really felt like part of our job was to bring her back to earth and reconnect her with sort of earth heroes not that I want to lose she's a space character she's a cosmic character she should always be that and I am a big fan of of Kelly Sue's higher further faster the always go up I love that stuff but I just felt like she'd been away from earth for too long and so we brought her back to sort of have some of those adventures and reconnect her with Jess and Rhodey and some other people and and part of it was about trying to bring back, sorry, my cat, uh, bring back some of those fans that maybe felt disconnected from her after reading her under other writers in other events and things where they didn't really understand her as well. So I think there was some of that. I mean, you know, I can't really cut her hair. Margie's soul was like, don't cut her hair. It's not worth it. And I was like, yeah, I was like, I know, but you know, it's just weird. It's just a, it's a weird thing to comics. I think because they move so fast and because so much of them is put out there, you know, like solicits three months before and then previews and then all this stuff that happens and it all happens so fast that I feel like it's way more like social media is like way more caught up in the minutia of it than a lot of other things. And it can get hard to like lock that out and make sure you're doing the right thing independent of the noise, you know? Yeah.
0: Well, again, it goes back to what we were saying about, uh, you know, kind of the way the comics are just different than, than anything else. You know, I mean, yeah. the comic shops are or- ordering things too much ahead of time. The thing hasn't even been produced yet, you know, yeah. and, and yeah, yeah, and people, people are, you know, complaining. And, and that, that's the thing that gets me because c- to your point, like they're complaining about, you know, Oh, Carol's being replaced. You, can you at least read the story first before you yeah. complain? About I'm, I not mean, super, I'm super excited. Binary is, uh, <laughs> I think an under explored, part of who carol has been
1: well i mean i'll be honest with you it's it's less about exploring binary and it's more recognizing she's captain marvel now she's captain marvel in billion dollar movies she's not going back to binary that's Mm -hmm. not going to happen right but that look that idea that name at a time when it's really hard to come up with new names for comic book characters Mm -hmm. that look the name and some of the ideas within it are completely viable. And so let's explore them in a new way. Let's have both. Let's have our cake and let's eat it also, you know? Um, So we'll see. I I will say it's, we, you and I should both, in fairness to people that want to be annoyed before reading the story, uh, in fairness to them, they, comics does ask a lot right i mean asking asking you to commit to buy something at your comic book store before you know movies don't make you do that tv shows certainly don't make you do that novels don't make you do that for the most part so i guess i do want to just acknowledge that like it's a weird relationship comics and fans it's it doesn't feel particularly great these days. I think because social media, which is good for so many things, has also become very toxic in a lot of ways, and we're really caught up in that. But comics asks a lot of its fans. It 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 gives a lot, but it asks a lot. So yeah,
0: I, that's yeah, that's a good that's a good point. Uh, and to shift over to your to your other uh, series that I'm absolutely loving at Marvel right now, the one that you won your Eisner Award last year for. Um, 2021 for best ongoing series, continuing series uh, with Elena Casagrande, amazing Adam Hughes covers. It's Black Widow. Uh, she's sort of on the other end of the spectrum in a lot of ways. She's already had her big movie. I, I feel like her role in the MCU is kind of, you know, more diminishing as, as Carol's is still, you know, kind of up there at the top with another Captain Marvel movie coming. Um, do you feel there's less eyes on it? Uh, in terms of like oversight you have feel do you feel any more freedom working on Black Widow than you do on Captain Marvel or is it around the same
1: there's way more freedom on Black Widow um, at the same time that book's not doing as well as Captain Marvel so mm. maybe I don't know what I'm doing I don't know you know is that because is that because she's just not as big a character is that because we've had some delays mostly not our fault mostly just shipping and labor and paper and stuff like that Mm -hmm. but it has happened a little bit which makes it hard for fans to stay engaged um i don't i don't know i i think it's probably about the scope of the character and the popularity of the character because it's really hard to get I mean it's really hard to get even captain marvel to for an ongoing for for mm-hmm. it to keep going and it's hard for almost all characters i mean if your name's not wolverine or batman it's like forget it spider-man maybe is spider-man and batman or maybe the 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 two we should use this example there but you know so yeah I, I think oh gosh um but there was a lot more freedom there was a lot more freedom i knew marvel was really happy with what we were doing i had a very clear um concept from the jump, like, and I really knew where I wanted to go with it. And they've just sort of let me go and do it. And I'm very excited Uh, the 15 issues of black widow. We've done are some of my favorite that I've done at Marvel and some of my favorite I've done period in my career so far. Um, And that is largely down to just a perfect team. I mean, Elena Casagrande, just incredible. Jordi Belair, (sighs) mind-blowing colors you know it's like i didn't think she could do any better and then she (laughs) and she did that issue 13 which is just spectacular in those in those colors and textures as that flashback issue um And Adam Hughes on these covers, uh, I mean, forget about it. He's doing, like, career best work there. I was very glad Peach Momo won at the Eisners, but I was mad Adam wasn't even up there because I think the covers he's done for Black Widow over the last year have been nothing short of spectacular, Um, including that Black Widow 5 you have up on your screen right now. I mean, I think that's one of the best covers of his entire career. Like, it's gorgeous. It's perfect. Um, And he really... um, you know i i I don't say this as a swing on uh on other cover artists because a lot of times they're not given the information and they're there's almost like a Chinese wall and like you never really talk to them or whatever like you talk to the editor about what you think it's about or what you think an idea would be and then they go back and whatever but Adam really got engaged at a certain point I think it was after the first couple issues had come out. And that issue three with that wedding dress, mm-hmm. like the, the amount of detail he put in there, how he integrated the text so that the different forms that I do, I mean, I, it was incredible. And it, he was really paying attention to the actual book and like what was happening. And it's a level of engagement that you don't often get. And for someone like Adam Hughes to, to give us that engagement feels like just the highest possible compliment. I mean, it's incredible.
0: Yeah, and I, I was just overjoyed that you guys won the Eisner because so so well deserved, and and much like your voice for Carol, I think your voice for Natasha is is amazing. I I've dipped in and out of, of various Black Widow series over the years, and she never really captured me. But and it's not just your voice for Natasha, but you've you've really created. I mean, she's such a solo character in a lot of the, the previous. Um, series that she's been in. You've really built her a, a, a supporting cast. It's it's almost has a family feel. Yeah. Um, you know, starting with giving Natasha a family at the beginning, which was a great hook to pull uh, to pull readers in. So, um, you know, you must have had that plan from the beginning. What have been the challenges um, in in writing Black Widows? Or anything that you particularly struggle with, or or have to work a little extra hard at?
1: Well I think um you know I wasn't we knew she was going to be very solo for that first arc because Mm -hmm. she had this family and so she was going to feel very much separate from the superhero community or any of that and we were just going to have Yelena and Clint and Bucky sort of tittering around on the sidelines until that last bit but um yeah, because she loses the family, I mean, I like to build casts, and I like to build female casts a lot, I do it a lot in my books, um, even in my non-Marvel books, I'm always interested in that ensemble, I think it gives you a lot to sort of bounce off each other, you know, um, I, I always joke about people online, always want to, Like cast books, and they always put similar characters together, and think it's like a great idea. And I'm like, put all the characters who are badasses together. Like that's not fun. Mm -hmm. Like you need you need the vinegar. You need the oil and the water. You know you need you need to mix these things so that they have something it's why a truth tell it's why dropping a truth teller character like a Cordelia or a spike into Buffy since we were talking about that before works so well it stirs everything up and it creates problems and it creates new issues and um, so I do like to do that for my characters especially someone like Black Widow who I like her very much as a solo character, but this isn't a side of her we get to see a lot. And it Mm -hmm. made a lot of sense coming out of losing a family for her to consciously or unconsciously build one around her. I mean, Lucy is very much a stand in for I couldn't help my son, but here's another child that I can help, you know, Um, Yelena very much sort of playing the sister role who doesn't want to take any of your shit but really does love you and wants to help like i think so so all of that goes into thinking about that um i think i think i just the only thing i really worry about with the black widow book is this this is gonna sound so stupid but i don't want to let people down i feel like people are really attached to natasha in a very particular way um and i am too um but i have to set a lot of that aside in order to write you know the story that i think will be the best story but you know like a lot of there are a lot of shippers for clint and nat and there are a lot of shippers for clint and bucky or for well that too but (laughs) but bucky and or james and Nat um nat's And to make any of those people happy is to make the others unhappy. Mm -hmm. And I, more than ever before, I found myself very torn about that of wanting to tell the best story I could. And at some point I was like, well, maybe that should involve her, you know, opening herself up to romance again. And, you know, but then I got to commit to one of these directions and break the hearts of all these other people and it sort of break the hearts of the characters too i mean like not only if you if you put james uh and nat together like not only what does that do to her and clint but what does that do to bucky and clint like it's ups, it's upsetting and all that makes for good story fodder i suppose but it's the most a book has ever made me it's the most i've ever worried about it on a book of like upsetting people and letting them down um but that can really get in your way that's not a good way to approach it i don't recommend that i'm just admitting that it it got in my head for sure
0: yeah it's almost a challenge of caring too much too much about the character
1: yeah Uh, yeah like kind of get in your own way get out of your head kelly just write the script
0: (laughs) Uh, well, I, I do have to ask you, we mentioned uh, Amazing Spider-Man before. It, it's a very different sort of project. It's almost like a TV writer's room. You have this Beyond board where you're working with some really talented people. What's that experience been like?
1: Um, it started out really well. It didn't end so great for me. Um, with no disrespect to any of the writers, I love all those people. I think they're insanely talented. Um, Zeb was an incredible leader. Um I just think um, a couple things happened where just because of my schedule, I wasn't able to write as many issues as I wanted to, Um, so I only ended up writing three of the four main books, but then there were another two or maybe three of the like dot beyond books that Mm -hmm. I was going to write, and I didn't get to do those because of schedule, so I ended up not getting to feel as engaged as i wanted to with what we were doing but the biggest thing was that writing issue 91 was very difficult for me because um so i i'd written in in i'd done writing rooms or co-writes before but they've all been very different my first co-write at marvel was with kelly sudaconic on captain marvel and the carol core and i was a i was brand new i'd been writing gem and I had a graphic novel that was being worked on at Dark Horse. That was all I'd done. So that was a hundred percent me bowing to Kelly Pseudoconic's feet. It was me <laughs> learning the ropes at Marvel. It was now they were putting me through my paces. I was breaking those stories. Like Kelly Sue would give me the idea, and then I was breaking the issue. And then they would review it and we'd make changes if necessary. And then I would write the issue, and then she would come in and make it 50 times better, like with her Kelly Sue DeConnick magic. <laughs> so so like that was one experience. And then when I got handed A-Force, because G. Willow Wilson had some family stuff come up, and she had, to, she had to step off the book, so I came in for issue two, and she had written issue one entirely on her own, and then I wrote the whole rest of the run, but I just sort of inherited her plotting, like, for the first arc, right? Mm-hmm so that was different and then i did uncanny x-men with matt rosenberg and ed brisson and that was very collaborative we were good friends and we thought we had similar enough voices that we could actually write all of it together so that basically we broke up parts of each issue so we were all writing on every issue i'm sorry i love that
0: i love that run by the way
1: Really? Thank you. We we rarely hear that.
0: (laughs) Oh my God. It's one of, it's, it's, it harkens back to like the classic Claremont stuff so well. I just, thank you. Thank you. Love that run.
1: I, there's a lot of things I love about what we did. And I had a really good time working with Matt and Ed, but we were handed a pretty tough directive, which is, yeah, break and ruin everything, which, (laughs) people will surely enjoy that. No. Uh, so it was a, it was a tough directive, but it, it, it I'm proud of what we did on it and it's nice to hear someone liked it. I, I know some people liked it, but it's just not. It's, it's one of my favorite it.
0: X-Men runs of all time. Like, I Are you love kidding? that one. No, I, I've, <laughs> no I've, I've had this conversation. So I've had this conversation with Ed and I've had this conversation with Matt and told him the same thing. Like I, that, that run is special to me. It really oh, wow. is. Thank it doesn't so get the credit. I get it that it doesn't get the credit it deserves, but you guys, like you said, you guys were handed a directive and you nailed it.
1: Thank you. We did do what we were asked to do. And honestly, no, um, no disrespect to Ed or myself, but thank God for Matthew and his crazy knowledge. I mean, mm-hmm. we're all, we were all very well-versed on, on X-Men stuff, especially because we're all super fans from when we were kids, but uh he, Matt, <laughs> Matt came to the summit with some of the craziest ideas ever. And I think some of them made it in because when you're trying to do something really big like that, you know, you got to really swing. So, um, come here. It's not time for dinner yet. Can you please be quiet? Come here. Sorry. Um, so, so, so when I went into beyond a uh, uh, Spider-Man beyond, <laughs> I just felt like, Oh, I've done this. Mm-hmm. Like there's no problem, but I've never done it this way, which is you do the writer's room and you all work together on the outline. And thank God Zeb has to do most of the hard stuff. Cause then you get to go away and he has to go work on the outline. But like we had several summits and we, we beat it all out together. This, this outline and you know, it was big, it was long. And then it got broken up into pieces and, and handed out. And I was lucky, which I didn't realize at the time to get, two really early issues. I mean, I was grateful to have them, but I didn't realize how hard it was for everyone else. Right. Mm -hmm. Because when I came back in at the end to write 91, you know, I'd read everything everyone had done, but there were issues that weren't written yet when I'm writing 91 Mm -hmm. and something that, something that, I had really taken for granted in myself as a writer is that I'm very good at knowing where my characters are at emotionally. Like for all the plotting weaknesses I might have as a writer and things I struggle with, I always really know where a character's head and heart is at. It's easy for me to get inside their head. It's easy for me to do their narration. And I sat down to write 91 and I didn't know where Ben was at and it was one of the hardest scripts I've ever had to write
0: yeah that's tough
1: we did end up making a lot of changes to even the plot and so it was a pretty big rewrite we did as well I'm happy with where we ended up but it was shockingly difficult Hmm. and then for reasons I won't get into I didn't write 92 so uh, that was a really frustrating experience for me and I'm I think (laughs) If I'd written 92, maybe I'd feel more like I had triumphed and maybe I wouldn't ever do that style quite again, but I was glad I had done it. But because I didn't write 92, it ends up feeling a bit like a failure, you know? So, yeah,
0: that's that. Yeah, that's hard. That's I, I feel you know, bad for you because I, I know how passionate you are about it. And I, I, and I think it goes back to something that uh, we talked about early on, the collaborative nature, you know, and I guess it's a lot tougher. I, I I just thought maybe you guys were were talking on a more regular basis, you know, like you would do with, you know, your artists on on Captain Marvel or or working with Elena on Black Widow, where it's you you're almost talking daily. And it doesn't seem like that was the uh experience with, with Amazing mm-hmm. Spider-Man. So I'm sure that's no. what made it so yeah. difficult.
1: It wasn't it wasn't like that. And I, you know, I wasn't critical of that even mm-hmm. as a thing. I just think everyone involved we're just way too busy. I mean, yeah. especially Zeb and Saladin. Mm-hmm. Not that, not that I'm not that I'm saying they weren't present. I'm just saying like those guys have their hands in so many things. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no way we can all just be on Slack, like chatting it up or whatever. It's it just, it just wouldn't have worked. And um, I think, I think we did our best, and I'm very proud of what everyone's done, and I'm proud of my issues too. Like I said, 91 eventually really came together, and I mm-hmm. think, I think I put all the things we needed to in the right places for that finale that we were setting up, but it was very hard. And it did, it did feel a bit like a failure um, to, I don't know, to just, you know, you know it when you, when you don't hit it out of the park. And again, I don't mean the issue. I mean, the, the exercise of doing X number of issues on amazing Mm Spider-Man, you know, that, feels like i failed because a i didn't get to do as many as i wanted to and i hoped to do you know and b i really struggled with a part of the process that's always been easy for me and it resulted in me not getting to write as much as i wanted to so it feels like a good learning experience Uh, it will be hard to talk me into doing Mm -hmm. a writer's room quite like that again um And not even for the weaknesses of that as a model. I think more for my own weaknesses. Like it pointed out one to me that, hey, this is really hard for you if you don't really know where your character's at. So you need to either get better at that or be more careful about taking on a project like this because you can't, you know, you you can't on a project like that you can't be in control of all those elements and so you have to let go um as far as collaborating I don't know I it's a mixed it's a mixed bag it's like I had a really they they were all very different experiences certainly Matt and Ed are two of my best friends in comics so that one was particularly fun in some ways although when we look back on it i think we both see a lot of trauma we all see a lot of trauma as well but it did help make us into even better friends i think which is great because after i said yes i was like oh god i just said yes and these are my two best friends in comics what if it goes horribly wrong and i don't have any friends left um but I will say that when people like on Twitter and stuff are like, you know, you and Tom should write an issue. I don't, you and Tom Taylor, sorry, that happens a lot. Tom and I think have some similar sensibilities and we're, we're friends and who isn't friends with Tom? He's the best. Um, but I always see people wanting me to write with Tom. There's a lot of other people too, but I'll see that like, Oh, you guys should team up on an issue. And I was like, why do you need both of us? Like I, he can do it or I can do it. You don't need us. It, right. It's not the same. I mean, I'm not saying there isn't value in that. I mean, God, talk about Substack. I mean, we're seeing a really great example of how that can be powerful with what Jonathan Hickman is doing. You know, he's got he's got Ram and uh, Teenie Howard and um, Al Ewing um, and a, a ton of incredible artists. But we're talking about writers all helping him build that three worlds three moons it's really interesting and really cool and it's awesome to see the collaborative nature of that but you know Tom doesn't need me on an issue of Nightwing like I I don't bring anything that you're not already having it's sort of like those people who want to put all the same characters on the team mm-hmm. it's like if you're gonna if you're gonna put me with someone to write something you should probably put me with someone who's brings a completely different skill set although that sort of sounds like a nightmare so let's not try that
0: <laughs> Well, no, it's a, good, it's, a good, it's a good point. And, you know, not every writer is the same. Not every, you know, it's, it's like the same thing that we say. They're not every comic is for every person. You know, you can flip that around and say, not every comic is for, for every creator. Not every yeah. collaborative situation is for every creator. So, yeah, you, you take it as a learning experience. Clearly, you're, you're passionate about your work, and that's why it bothers you. And I, I understand that. But from a reader's perspective, there's joy in Spider-Man again, not to say what Nick Spencer was doing before wasn't valid, but it was a much darker take. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm enjoying the heck out of the, the beyond storyline. So from that perspective, yeah, it's it's a success. It's been really
1: fun. I've totally enjoy what we've created. I just, I learned some things about myself as a Mm -hmm. creator, some weaknesses, and I'll, I'll try to work on strengthening those, but I'm not going to lie and pretend, you know, the next time a committee type style writer's room book comes around, I might be like, I don't know. And 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 again, like you said, if we'd been in touch all the time, more like a more normal writer's room, I think I would have been fine with it because there are parts about that collaboration that I loved, especially Mm. the fact that after every call, Uh, All those notes and everything Zeb would have to go away and (laughs) do all the work On the outline, which nobody enjoys doing That's a lot of really blood Sweat and tears um, And I didn't have to do any of it And that was beautiful Um, So I think the writer's room thing Can work really well But for me, because I wrote two issues early on and I was supposed to write two at the end. I ended up feeling really at sea about where we were mm-hmm. in the journey and, you know, looking at the outline and reading what had happened so far was very helpful, but that only helped to a point, you right. know? And then I was sort of, I, I felt pretty lost, like, which is not a, you know, I, I try to always, and Matt and, Ed and I were just talking about this the other day about outlines and how we feel about them. And I got lost in the woods on my first novel, um, and I was lost for a long time, and I vowed really never to go back into the woods without the map after that, and <laughs> I've broken that rule a few times, and honestly, I've regretted it deeply every time, so, you know, I think um, Beyond had these incredible ideas and an incredible story, and they brought the right people in to do it. I just, it, it didn't quite, I, I, I feel like for me, it was a little bit of a failure despite the great story that we ended up doing as a as a group like I dropped the ball a little bit somehow you know well
0: again don't don't beat yourself up uh you know <laughs> learning learn, learning learning experience yeah and, and yeah and like you said you know everybody's so busy yourself included because it, it's not only Captain Marvel it's not only Black Widow yeah not only Beyond it's yeah. not only Jeff you got your Substack, right we got to talk about yeah. that which has been well and that's
1: it. A- that's another thing when you're in a writers room for TV for example I mean you're being paid so much that that's your priority like mm-hmm. you're not having to hustle a couple other TV shows on the side but right. when you're writing comics you know if you're making a living at them you're writing like three or four a month um so it's a lot it's a lot to juggle um
0: Yeah and the Substack thing is it's brand new. So, you know, And in terms of a, a platform and how's this going to work? And I, you know, there's a lot of big names on there and you're kind of looking to each other. Okay. What's working for that person? What's your, yeah. but it, that's a lot more to take on. Like you got to yes. figure out how, yeah. you know, how's this going to work? So talk to us about the experience so far. And then, you know, obviously we had yeah. the first two issues of black cloak, uh, I, issues, I put that in. because yeah, yeah, it's a little it and then is we have more, the coming later.
1: Yeah, so there are more chapters than issues. Uh, I only say that because the third chapter comes out this month and probably those first three chapters will be issue one that's probably how we'll, I mean, I have to image and I have to talk about it to make sure that that's what they're okay with. But what I'd like to do is those first three chapters is issue one. And so that'll be a really oversized, that'll Hmm. be like 50 pages or something for our issue one, which is, which will be fun. Um, And some of that is just logistics um, of how we were, you know, when we first started doing it, I was writing, both i was writing for trade for issue and for weekly and it Mm -hmm. was it was rough and so even though it was working better than i was afraid it might work with the weekly split i found myself horribly relieved when i had my people vote and they voted they'd rather have fewer installments In larger sections. Mm -hmm. So we've moved basically to a to a comic book model where we get one issue a month, basically. And that is great for me on multiple levels. I only have to write for the issue and the trade now as opposed to the weekly. And that way, so so that's a little bit why we'll be getting this oversized issue when we do the print. Um, but it's also just the logistics of having to do that post every week you know there's like a lot of and that's that's the big thing with substack because it's not just that like oh you're launching two creator owned things and there's a lot of work in that but you know because it's substack it's a lot more like a kickstarter or something right where you as writer if you're the one who runs the Substack, like you're taking on a lot of administrative responsibilities and you know you're emailing designers and editors and all this other stuff that you know you hope you do less of when you're just writing a comic so it's been a lot but it's been really it's been really fulfilling i've forgotten how much i've missed creator-owned comics it's nice to have real freedom it's nice to not be told no about things that are important to you. Um, you know, I, I think that I one of my favorite things about our, two, our first two titles, Black Cloak, which is co-creator, artist, colorist Meredith McLaren, and The Cull, which is co-creator, artist, colorist Mattia Dilius, uh, they couldn't be more different. I mean, they're very different books as well. But they, you know, Maddie has got this highly realistic style, Mm -hmm. painted style, which almost looks like you're watching a movie. And Meredith has this really great sort of cartoony, very smooth, clean look to all her stuff. Um, And it's awesome. It's awesome to be like, these are two wildly different books. And I am very confident everyone subscribing to the Substack will love them both because I, I think they just bring, I, I just think they're great stories. They're they're engaging, they're smart, and they have incredible collaborators working on them. You know, um, and it's fun to be doing this Substack. It's scary too, but you know, it feels a little bit like I don't know. You know i don't know the gold rush or going out west to the frontier or something um although the colonialism and that is not great as a metaphor i suppose but you know it feels like undiscovered maybe space that would be a better (laughs) although gosh i hope we don't be become space (laughs) colonizers let's not think about that i got enough on my plate already um but no, but yeah. you're mining, you're mining something that hasn't been mined before. You, yeah. You know? Yeah. And they say the first guys through the wall always get bloody, but you know, hopefully we can survive it. I think the subset grants um, take a lot of the risk out of it for people, which is why you're seeing so many huge names, um, giving it a chance and, and seeing where they can go. But um, it's exciting. They just launched, um, they just launched an app this week and my my subscribes have gone sort of through the roof because the app is really great and it makes it easier to discover people and subscribe to them and so it's very cool yeah and the
0: the, the, the one uh title that's already out that, that you mentioned black cloak it's this murder mystery uh in this sort of fantastical world and and you know the world building that you uh that you're doing here I, you know, I really enjoy it. And the fact that with Substack, we're, we're able to see, you know, you know, you've shared kind of the the process that you and Meredith have gone through with developing not only, you know, the story, but also the visual look of the world. Uh, and it's been, yeah, it's been uh, really enjoyable because like you mentioned, her style is so clean and, and almost like an animated style, but, you know, it's, it's crime noir. Uh, that's so clear in, in the narrative. And so you're really mashing up two things that, you don't always see, you know, crime nor yeah. with this clean animated style, so that's got to be yeah. uh, a lot of fun. And and then it, you know, dovetails in with the community aspect of uh, Substack. So how has the uh, how's the reception been for the first two uh, chapters here?
1: Really good. I mean, the good news is you have to be a paid subscriber to comment, so it really keeps the riffraff out. <laughs> um, but it does that does make it harder to sort of gauge. You know, I mean, I think that the good news for me is I'm getting really direct feedback from my audience and that's really great. I think the downside is it's still a pretty small sample size considering. So, you know, and I think there's, you know, you never want to get too comfortable because you're not sure how much of an echo chamber you're in. Um, but, you know, that's one of the reasons why it was really important to me. Um, I brought on Charles Beecham as my editor for probably for all the books we're going to do, uh, on the subsect. Certainly he's already working on the call and black cloak. And, you know, I I think an editor is important in a million ways, but for me, one of the big reasons to have him there was because I just need a, I need a check, you know, (laughs) I need someone going, this is not good or, you know, you are missing this perspective or whatever, because you are sort of launching something without a lot of eyes on it, just out into the public. And so, you know, you really need to trust your collaborators to trust the people that are working with you on it. And uh, you know, I feel like on both these projects, I've been incredibly lucky in that regard. And I I think people are going to be really excited. I mean, people are already excited about black cloak. I think they're going to like all the books we're doing, to be honest. I think they're all really interesting and they're different, but sort of, I don't know my sensibility unites them perhaps. I don't know.
0: <laughs> yeah. I need to go back and read. I've only read the the second chapter once. I've read the first one twice. And I, cause I, I really, I, I really hope there are clues and I think there are, there's a few things I picked up in chapter one where I'm like, mm, this line's going to be, this is, a, it feels like a throwaway line, but I bet it's going to be important <laughs> later on. So when things are mysteries, you know, I love being able to go back and look at the,
1: we might have clues. to talk offline. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I have to uh, tell you, my, my favorite line in, in chapter one uh, was from Pax when uh, when Essex asked him, what, what charge are you going to you know this reporter that, that caught the picture? And he's like, on a charge of making me fly around like a moron. <laughs> like I, I, that, that had me laughing out loud.
1: Yeah, it's actually been that's been a little bit of a When I first had this idea, it was called a different thing a million years ago, as these ideas do. Um you know, our sort of relationship with cops was different than it is now. Um, I mean, it was never great, but it's really changed dramatically in the last five years. And that was something I really had to look at because, you know, I love PI stories and I tend to gravitate toward that. I love detective stories too, but there's something about the PI sort of being the loose cannon Um, you know, that doesn't sort of have to follow the rules, doesn't have to be part of this, the, the establishment that's very appealing. And I actually thought about trying to rework Black Cloak so that she was a PI or they were PIs. Mm. And it just didn't work because we have commentary we want to make about right. this stuff. And it's important to talk about the the way this world is built and what works and what doesn't work and why. And so I didn't want to shy away from that. But I did find that I made changes just in, like there was a, there was a thing in an early draft where um, when they're finding the body, uh, one of the cops is making basically a derogatory comment about elves. It's just sort of a sidebar thing. It was something about the tech being like elf junk or something. And I was like, no, like, let's let them be better. I mean, I'm not going to show that there aren't bad apples in here, but let's show that part of the reason this works is because, he calls him on that and so we ended up changing it around a little bit and um and i really like how it (sighs) reads cats come on i really like how it reads now because it's still there and you can still feel that these are not perfect characters and this is not a perfect world but you can also see that there's pushback you know what i mean like there's Mm -hmm. resistance to the idea that we would just let people say a horrible thing and like not remark on it. And I think in the end, that's more powerful than just like letting them be PIs and not have to deal with it, you know? Yeah. Well, so. you
0: established that, you know, right away in the first chapter, because you, you talk about, you know, this great evil that's been overcome, the kingdom's at peace, those lines uh, kind of in a vacuum, you think, oh, okay. So things are going great, but you've then specifically followed it by saying, it's not going great. You know, yeah. much like our, our yeah. you know, our own world, just be, if there were not no, any wars going on, that doesn't mean we're doing great. It doesn't mean that, you know, we have equal representation. It doesn't mean that everybody's, you know, treated fairly, yeah. uh, that we have, you know, justice and nobody's starving and there's no disease, you know? So yeah, yeah these are important things uh, to start the conversations. I know it's important to you as well to explore these things in our fictions. Yeah. That's how you start the conversations.
1: Yeah. And we, I just think it was important to us that, you know, that's not what the story is about, but it has to be present there as part of the world building of what that world is what are the rules of it and what does it look like and why is it the way it is and that's all really important stuff so but we're trying to you know i I got a really nice compliment from someone i talked to about the world building in black cloak because we don't have i mean that first page sort of leads you in and it seems like this is going to be Oh, the same old fantasy thing. Like Mm -hmm. here's a long prologue and here, but then by the end of the page, it's a twist. It's a sort of mm, not a twist. It's a subversion of that. Right. Mm -hmm. And then we just dump you in. Like there's no more preamble. There's no exposition dumps. We don't even have character caption boxes, caption boxes. It's all, we just drop you in and you're learning as you go. Like what kind of creatures live here and how it all works. And um i hope it's gonna work by the end (laughs) uh so far i'm very happy with it um in no large or in no small amount thanks to meredith's incredible work i mean you saw the map right (laughs)
0: Mm -hmm. yeah yeah fantastic work and all i could think you know as long as uh and i'm I'm so glad because i'm enjoying our conversation so much i'm so glad to have you uh we've been talking about this for over a year but when i read chapter two you know we had already set this up and all i could think was man i almost wish it was after the third chapter came out that kelly was coming on because that cliffhanger at the end of chapter two yeah and i'm like no yeah. no i'm not no i are gonna have a great conversation but man I, well, i'm so curious
1: when but. you see chapter three you will instantly understand why these are all going to be bundled into one issue instead mm. of multiple issues um you should probably uh, send me a, a tweet or something, a little email or something, and let me know that you saw, you saw my weaknesses and you understand.
0: <laughs> no, I'm sure. I'm sure you'll hear from me after after, after chapter three. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the the culling. Um, I, the cult. The cull, the cull. Yeah. Uh, it, it's so different and it leans into something else that I want to talk about. We've talked a lot about the artists that you've collaborated with. Um, and how you know their aesthetic feeds into kind of the tone of the story and again getting back to this idea of the collaborative nature because the difference between uh madia and uh meredith and meredith's style i mean they are miles apart here yeah
1: Um, almost as far as you could get yeah
0: yeah and but yet i mean the process uh pieces that you've been putting the process videos uh, for, for the call have been amazing. <laughs> I've watched them multiple times. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I mean, it's just, it's, it's gorgeous. And I, it, again, going back to this idea of the give and take, like you can't look at that art and not be inspired to tell, you know, the, the best yes. story and, yes. and yeah, inform yeah. your, your narrative.
1: Maddie is a magician. I, um, when I, when I finished the first script, you know, It's always very nerve wracking when nobody's told you it's any good yet. Um, (laughs) My editor really loved it. um, And so I felt better. And so we sent it to Mattia, but then he didn't respond right away. And I started getting really nervous. I mean, you're talking about this is a guy who's at the top of his game at Marvel Comics, and he's taking a chance on us Mm -hmm. for, you know, probably it's probably going to take up the better part of a year for him to do this work and you wanted to be worthy of him like i felt that pressure very tangibly um in a way that i maybe hadn't before not to disrespect meredith in any way but meredith and i had collaborated on creator own before and so it was just sort of a known Quantity I was right. very yeah. grateful she came on board. She was the perfect person for it. I couldn't believe my luck at sort of getting her, but we'd already sort of done this a little bit before, and so now we're trying to do it a little differently. Mm-hmm. But with Mattia, you know he and I have never done Creator own. We've never sort of taken that leap together and um I started when I started getting layouts from him, I just I was like, I know he built this off of something I, off of the scaffolding I gave him, but it's so much better. It's so much richer and amazing. And like, you know, I wrote all these little details about the characters into it, but just seeing him give it life, I don't know. It just, it really, that feeling is, it's, it's, it's really hard to describe. It's, um, it's incredibly validating and inspiring. Um, and hopefully you are able to take the inspiration part of it and, you know, to help channel that into doing more great scripts. Sometimes you just have to sit with it because you're tired. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the stuff we're doing, um, I would say that the approach to the call and black cloak is actually quite similar in that we dump you in and mm-hmm. It's particularly similar because, you know, with Mattia, we have, because of his other commitments, we basically have a hard out in five issues. And it was so much, it was such an important book to me that we get right and that we nailed the landing on and these emotional beats I knew we were going to have that I actually had to go back in and like retool the whole thing. And, because, and and I even had to drop a character because I was like, we're just not going to have time for all of that if we got to be out in five issues. It, it'll probably be a little more than a hundred pages. Like the first issue was 22, for example. But I will also say that, and this is similar to what happened to me with Heart in a Box actually many years ago, by going in and having a limitation, I really had to rethink it and it became so much stronger as a result. Mm. I think the themes and what I was trying to say and it all got honed down and sharpened to sort of like a razor's edge, which is great, which is, you know, what you're always wanting. (laughs) if You can get there, but it doesn't always happen. And it's a great example of limitations sometimes helping you not when it's like. I, I I don't have any fondness for limitations it's when it's like, hey, we can't see gay characters or whatever like that. Fuck that. I don't, I don't have any interest in that. Mm-hmm. But it's what I call the meat dress problem, which is like someone would go on Project Runway and they'd be like, okay, you can have all the materials you want and an unlimited budget. And it's for a gala. So you can do anything. And a lot of people fall on their face. And then they take them to the grocery store and they're like, you can make a dress out of meat. Good luck. And people do incredible things mm-hmm. because sometimes that limitation and that restriction makes you push harder to find other ways to do it, to lean on other things that you don't always lean on. It really forces you to confront weaknesses uh, in a thing. and. Uh, Whereas sometimes just being given free reign, sometimes it's a little too much. Sometimes it doesn't create the best product. So it was a thing that I was very worried about initially with Mattia that we were only going to have these five issues and that there wouldn't be a lot of wiggle room there. But I think it was for the best. I mean, I hope people are going to love it and he loves doing it and that he'll come back and we'll do more um of this or something else um and the it's set up so that you can do more of the call uh, absolutely but it's also set up to be it's own standalone devastating story, and I think, and I had to do that because I didn't know if we'd get the chance for him to come back for more, and because we had to do it within these five issues. But again, I I think it's better. I think it's all better because of it. It's easy to say when you're still working on issue one, I suppose. But <laughs> I have that outline to convince me that <laughs> that I'm right.
0: <laughs> yeah, and again, uh, you're putting together a female crew, and yeah, and maddie's hands are they're, they're gorgeous, and I mean. The, that those again, I can't stress enough, everybody, how cool those process shots are. Like when when Kelly put the first one up on Substack, I even called my daughter over. I'm like, look at how good this is right now. Like, look at just how awesome this is right now. Just watch this, and then you you know, like you look at the beginning and and the end. Once he puts in the shadow and how it just, come, you know, the the character just comes to life, and you don't realize that all that was missing because the initial image without all the shading looked great to my untrained yeah, eye yeah I guess, yeah right
1: yeah you're he's very it's a little bit watching maddie's process videos is a little bit like watching bob ross right where you're like <laughs> don't don't it's good just stop yeah. it's good and then he's like shut up look watch me you know yep. and then it's so good only thing i will tell you is when he was first starting doing the designs this is before the process videos and stuff it was before he was to that point but he was sending in these incredible character designs and we were talking about them this that you know whatever and um One of the things I noticed, I think I noticed it on Kate first, is that, you know, he was getting into the shading so much. I was like, keep in mind you're used to drawing people in comics who are like 20s, 30s. These kids are like 18. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I know you want to go crazy on all this shadowing and everything, and it's majestically beautiful, but they're really young. So like, you know, don't be afraid to like let them you know, be young and he was like good note, good note, but we're going to really put him through a ton of trauma so they won't look young by the time. <laughs>
0: we're yeah, it. do we have an elevator pitch for the call? Have you have you talked about it at all?
1: Um gosh, it's going to be really rough here. Um
0: I mean, if it's too soon to say, then don't, don't, No, no, don't I play mean
1: any. I I think I said a thing on the subsec I just can't remember what <laughs> I said. Um which must mean it wasn't too remarkable. <laughs> I would say it's a sort of I would slot it in a fantasy horror adventure. It's maybe become too horror to fit in adventure anymore. Hmm. It's got some pretty dark undertones in what it's talking about and in how it's executed. Um, So maybe horror fantasy is where you'd, where you'd slot it or sci-fi is, is maybe equal. It's sort of a weird sci-fi fantasy hybrid, which is funny because I'm sort of doing that on Black Cloak as well, but in a just a completely different way, you know, where it's like, that's obviously a fantasy world, but mm-hmm. we've said it's a fantasy world set in the future. And so it's got these sort of neo-noir vibes to it in the way the city is constructed and everything. And so similarly, the, the, the creatures that are encountered in the cull, which you get a tease of on that promo page, are probably more sci-fi than fantasy, but I think they elicit fantasy vibes from us as readers. So sort of a weird hybrid of that. It's a lot of horror now.
0: (laughs) Well, I'll tell you that Um, (laughs) when I saw, when I saw the preview image, um, just the reactions, the emotionality that uh, Maddie put in the faces, all I could, like the tagline on that should be like, shit's about to get real. (laughs) Like that's,
1: yeah yeah that's yeah. what it it's, feels like it's yeah. um i would say it's an incredibly grounded series that then takes mm. these wild swings like it those these characters feel very real and very in our world it's got it's a little bit like a, a goonies plus sci-fi fantasy plus a lot of horror like in that there's sort of a coastal town and so it's the 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 conceit is these five kids uh the summer before they sort of go their separate ways after high school and they live in a sort of small coastal town that's got these famous rocks um sort of lightly modeled on cannon beach um, in oregon although there are lots of other places that have rocks like that across the coast um and it so they go they go to those rocks in secret to film a short film under the pretense of filming a little short film together. um, And things go very wrong. And gets real. Yeah. When they (laughs) come, when they come back, it's still really wrong and bad. And so this is about them trying to fix it and what all of that means and what really happened to, to, to make all that. Go wrong. I am going to have to work on this pitch.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I'm excited. I, I'm excited for it. I, mean, I
1: need <laughs> I need something way more polished.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, you you have me sold. I mean, between Maddie's art and yeah, what we what <laughs> we talked about. Uh, well, it's been so great chatting with you, Kelly. Uh, I really appreciate the time. There is one last thing that I, I want to uh, to bring up again. Something you posted on Substack. Uh, you and David LaFuente uh, were going to be part of uh, an anthology about. Uh, to benefit people that have been affected by mass shootings, shootings in schools, that sort of thing. And I know it all kind of fell apart, but you still got to share the story that you and David did. It's on the Substack. Again, I I really cannot stress enough how much value you get. Go and subscribe, go and check it out. But I think it's even available if you're uh, a free subscriber. Is that uh, correct?
1: Yeah, that one's for free for sure. I think the only... Two behind a paywall right now are not only one, chapter two of Black Cloak is the only one. And I think you can read even a few pages of it before you hit the paywall. But yeah, I think that's the only one so far. The comics so far, it's a little tricky because part of me wants to just give some of the comics away. But it really, you know, you've got to have a reason. If you're going to charge people money, there's got to be something they're getting that right. everyone else isn't getting. Mm-hmm. So it's been a little bit of a you know, I think everyone on every subsec is sort of figuring out a little bit what works and what doesn't work for them. I'm trying to figure it out. Like, I've been encouraged to give a lot of my co- actual comics away on there. But I don't feel good about that because of the people that have backed. And, mm-hmm. and, and backed from day one, a lot of them, even though it was going to be months before they started seeing comics. Like, that kind of support, I just don't feel good about like sort of moving the goalposts on what that is um but yeah I think uh five four three two one is up there for free it's a four page short beautifully beautifully mm-hmm. drawn illustrated or illustrated colored and lettered by David Lafuente, Fuente and we're very lucky that he you know when the thing fell apart like I was very glad to have the substack as a venue so that I could get it out there and he very graciously he also just sort of wanted to get it out there so yeah we put it up for free
0: yeah. And I, it makes a very good point about the fact that, you know, these things happen and it doesn't necessarily have to be a, a school shooting, you know, any, any of the traumas that kind of, yeah. I feel like we as a society self inflict upon ourselves and how they, you know, it's not okay that day, it affects you that day. No, this, it's something that can affect you for the, for the rest of your life. And we could all stand to be yeah. a little nicer and have a little more empathy. Yeah. And, you know, work toward making the world a better place instead of, Screaming at each other. Yeah. So, well,
1: with those words, I will say you're definitely going to be into the call.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, well, again, everybody, I'll put a link to Kelly's Substack in the show notes go and subscribe. It's very much worth it. To my eternal shame, I, I didn't realize until just, just earlier last week that I hadn't subscribed yet. I subscribed to so many. Somehow I uh, I missed yours. I was reading all of them, but didn't realize that I, I hadn't, but I have subscribed now. So Thank you. Uh, but if anybody wants to follow along on social media, know when your work is coming out and what uh, what have you. Where's the best place to follow you, Kelly? Other than Twitter. Substack, obviously.
1: Yeah, Twitter's still the best, unfortunately, for good or ill. That's mm-hmm. where that's where I'm at. So it's um, at seventy nine semifinalists is the Twitter handle.
0: Great, and I'll put a link in uh, for the Twitter in the show notes, uh, everybody as well. So, uh, any any last uh, thoughts you want to share with our listeners, Kelly, as we uh, as we wind yeah, up think, here?
1: I think that's it. I'm we're going to be announcing something else on the Substack. I hoped it was be this month, but I think it's probably going to be in April. But so people should keep an eye out for that. I've got another exciting thing coming that. Uh, it's all going to be exciting for 2022 let's
0: fantastic. see how it goes <laughs> fantastic uh selfishly you know the, as much kelly thompson uh content as i can get i will take but then at the same time don't kill yourself and also yeah. you know yeah. as you learned with the, the the beyond thing you know don't don't bite off more than you can chew yep
1: so, no you're totally right i totally yep. right hey thanks for having me on it was a great time
0: yeah i really appreciate it and to all you listeners we appreciate you listening as always. Uh, We wouldn't do it if you weren't listening. So we appreciate the support and we will talk to you next time. You can find the Comic Source Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple.